You know, the conversation I want to have with these guys is, I think, culturally, um, socially, politically, physically, mentally. I could keep going with some stuff on that. We've just been through a season of, of quite significant trauma, whether we acknowledge that or realise that or not, and a season of shaking where the cultural landscape on our lives, on the church, on our relationship with God, on what the days forward looks like is going to be slightly different. But also there's been this moment of awakening an awakening around um, so many areas, if I'm honest, like compassion, multiplication, mission, how we do church, how we relate to God, uh, racial injustice. And amongst the pain, the Holy Spirit has been stirring something and birthing something new. And I believe as that generation represented in this room, we've got something to step into. And he's calling us into a new way of living that we don't want to miss and we want to fully embrace. And I've often been mindful that amongst the pain, and don't get me wrong, I'm not dismissing the pain. I acknowledge the pain and the pain that some of you are carrying in this room. We also have a moment. And often some of the language I've used that's helped me has been that David came to prominence because of Goliath. You know, sometimes when you come up against the obstacle or the difficulty or the challenge, actually, that can be the birthing point of calling out what the law wants to do. And that's kind of the thing that I want to jump into and, and address and chat through today with you guys. So um, just let's just go along the lines. All right, just introduce yourselves, who you are, what, you, what you're currently doing. Is that all right? Yeah. Hello, everyone. My name is Josh. I uh, live in Hull. I work for the church. Thank you. They're not even from Hull, they're just been Thanks, kind. They're just been kind. <laughs> uh, I live in Hull. I came to Hull for university um, 12 long years ago and uh, started working with the church straight out of university. So I, this is my 10th year in, in ministry, working for church for a long time, I was working with students. Um, I love students, real hard for students, but it's kind of diversified to include a lot of other things. I met my wife, Hannah, and... Um, uh, Last September, we had a baby. Uh, well, I didn't have a baby. She had a baby. I was present <laughs> at every step of the journey. Amen. <laughs> Not too sure what you were saying there. Let's move on quick. Um, hi, I'm Naomi. Um, <laughs> I love you guys. I'm from Manchester. Um, <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm on part, part of the team at Manchester Vineyard, um, leading on yeah, some of the compassion stuff that we're doing, which I'll share a bit more about. Yeah. I am Harvey Kuyani. Yeah, come on. I've come from Liverpool. Yeah. But I come from Malawi. Yeah. I am the crazy Malawian who planted a vineyard church in St. Paul, Minnesota, while doing a PhD. I, that, that will come back. I, I, I think there's something that God is saying to us in, in that statement. So we'll get back to it in a few yeah. minutes. And, and Harvey, I, I just want to say, like personally for Steph and I, we've learned a lot from you and you've taught us so much. And th there are a number of things Harvey's doing today that I'd encourage you to be part of. He's written a number of books, but one of them is the book that is on the bookstall over there, um, Multicultural Kingdom. I've got to say, really important read right in this moment that we're living in. So thank you for bringing... And you're sharing some of that in the, in the seminar later as well. Thank you. Sure. But Harvey, can, can we start with you? Just one of the 
I'm jumping in pretty quick, I know, but one of the most traumatising moments for many of us over the last 18 months was the murder of George Floyd and the shockwaves that that sent around the world. And it's been, I think it's been around 18 months since that sure. moment. But can you just talk us through what happened and the significance mm -hmm. of that, even for you personally, but also now for the, for the world around us? Yeah, so um, the murder of George Floyd happened on May 25. Um, by May 26, I, I got several panicking calls from some of my friends in Minneapolis. I spent seven years in Minneapolis. I know the place. It's, it's happened in my backyard. And I get calls from several friends saying, we are in trouble. Can you help us process this? Um, and that led to a good one year of constant conversations trying to process with them what's going on. My, my, my seven years in, in Minneapolis, uh, and I went to Minneapolis after having been here in Trent Vineyard for four years between 2003 and 2007. So I, I'm actually home. I, I, I was a member here a long time ago. My, my, my seven years in Minneapolis uh, made me realize that um, we live in a world that actually needs, needs to be critiqued in a, in, in, in a new way. That, that needs to... And this really happens with the death of George Floyd. It made it possible for people to talk about race and racism uh, and not be dismissed, as has been the case before, most of the times. And, and so it, it allows us, it, it, it created a space, it created a moment where we could talk about race, not just out there, race in the church, um, and, and people would pay attention and say, actually, this is real. Actually, this is something that we need to pay attention to. Now, implications of that for, for the world and for, for, for us as Christians. I, I do believe that uh, we're vineyard, we're kingdom people. And I believe that the kingdom, as I argue in the book, Matekashu Kingdom, I do believe that the kingdom has the capacity and not, and not just the capacity, I think I should say, the, the kingdom becomes the kingdom because it creates space for different cultures and different ethnicities to thrive together. That, that no one culture dominates and colonizes other cultures. The kingdom is the kingdom because people from different cultures, people from different languages, people from different, different parts of the world can all belong and say we are following this one king. George Floyd... George Floyd's death made it possible for us to begin to say, actually, where are the black voices among us? And where are the Asian voices among us? I, I, I used to joke, I think, I think it's still not too far from the truth to say that I will be, I think in a room like this, I'll be one of the very few people who can say they've planted and led a vineyard church um, from Africa or here in the UK or in the US. Yeah. Right? Uh, but, but there are people from around the world here that God is sending us, even to the vineyard. And, and part of the plea, part of, the, part of the, the petition for me is to say, where is the space where these people that have come from around the world can actually engage in what God is doing in the vineyard? Absolutely. I, I, I mean, this is, this is a snapshot moment and... I think there's a wider conversation that needs to happen and you're going to pick some things up throughout the day, but I just even sense in my spirit now something yearning for that. I think we, we'll pray for that a bit at the end, but I think there'll sure. be some people in this room where 
there's something activating and there's something birthing to step into some of what you've what you just talked about. I mean, if, if God can send somebody from Malawi to plant in, in Minnesota, <laughs> what can't God do? Yeah. <laughs> so I, 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 see, I see black and brown faces in here. If God is telling you to plant a vineyard, go ahead and do it. The vineyard needs you to plant. Yeah, amen. The kingdom needs you to plant. Amen. And, and I think we're in a, in a space where there will be a, a, a bit more support for you uh, to make that happen. Yeah. But God is calling people from around the world to plant and lead in the vineyard. And let's make it happen. Yeah, amen. Harvey, how do we practically keep the pursuit of racial equality front and center and build churches that celebrate diversity and stamp out racial injustice and prejudice? As I said, the, the kingdom is... It's about multiculturalism. Yeah. Politically out there, it's a problem, but within the kingdom, I don't think we have a choice. Right? And so, um, let's, let's keep that front and center, that what, what, what we are doing, what, what God has given us to do, and, and this is a key point, what God has given you to do is not just for you. God has given you gifts for others, and God has given others gifts for you, right? Uh, you, you, never, you, you will never get 100% of what God has for you alone, individually. What, what God gives you will be a portion of what you need. And the other portions will be given to people around you. Now, as, as, a, as a movement, the Vineyard movement, um, in Europe, in North America, very, very white, uh, we, we, we need to understand that God has also given gifts for the vineyard to other parts of the world, right? Gifts for us all. That uh, the South African vineyard has gifts that, that they can bring to this table. The Kenyan vineyard, the, 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 the Korean vineyard, all have gifts that will help us understand better what God is doing. So let's keep that front and center. We, we never get 100% of what we need. It's in the, it's in the diversity. It's, and it has to be diversity because if it's just people who look like you, who think like you, or actually people who may have a different skin color but have been cultured by you, right? That, that what they bring to the table is exactly what, what you bring to the table. That's not diversity. So let's go for diversity. Let's go for people who will make us become aware of things happening in the world that we can't become aware of otherwise. Let's, 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 let's talk to people who will make us read books that we won't read otherwise, right? Mm. People who will make us pray about issues that we won't pray for otherwise. So let's keep, let's keep right at the center of what we're doing. God wants the kingdom to be diverse. Yeah, amen. Can you speak into, like, I believe we're in a bit of a multiplication moment as well, where there's been, there has been pain, there has been trauma, but the Lord is releasing and birthing something. And you're um, you're uh, an academic, you're a practitioner, you have planted a churches, you're a theologian. Would you just give us some thoughts and reflections around the multiplication moment that we're in? Yes. Um, oh, I'm a theologian. Um, I have, have to make that confession. <laughs> and actually, the vineyard needs its theologians to, to actually engage in these conversations. Um, there are some here 
that God is calling you to, to do theology, to, to actually lead the movement theologically. Theology is important. So let, let me say that. Um, life generally happens um, in, in places of uh, hybridity, where, where several things come together, when, when ideas met, when, 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 when things that won't be together otherwise get together. That's where life advances. And, and in, in the aftermath of George Floyd, um, George Floyd's death, there has been a coming together of peoples around the world. Um, and there's been a coming together of ideas of, of what God is doing around the world. And that is what excites me about what, is, what God is doing today. The, the mixing of ideas, the, the mixing of opportunities, the mixing of cultures, that creates something that um, only could happen at a moment like this. So, um, some of you, I, I, I worked at a university, I taught theology at a university until two months ago. One of the key things that, that, that came with me after, after teaching at a, a university for five years was that, and I taught, I taught first-year students who are coming in to study theology, right? And most of them are coming to study theology because they want to teach religious education. Um, I, I had them in the very first week in the university. So first-year students, first week. I, I, I would get a class of probably 50 students, uh, and I would always ask them how many of them are religious. I would ask you to take a guess, but I think it's going to be wrong. Only 10% of, of my students would be religious. Um, that's five in a class of 50. Mm. And, and then I would ask them, what, what, what religion? How do they understand religion? They would, two of them would say, and which is like half of the 10%, would say they are Christians. And the others would say they are following some, some religions out there. Uh, and, and generally, my class would be all white British students. And why am I saying this? Uh, it's important that you realize that your friends, your mates, um, are not as religious as we would think they would be. And that puts a discipleship calling on you. You have a responsibility to disciple your friends uh, at, at two 2.5%, 3%, uh, we, we need to do better. So you have, you have as university students, you, you have a calling to disciple. We need to be serious about that. We need, we need to think seriously about that. And it's in discipleship, right? Church, church planting will happen, um, all the other things. But let's get back to discipleship, that we all understand that we have been called to make disciples. And my question to, to each one of you is really just to think, uh, who am I discipling? Yeah. Am I making disciples for Christ? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and keep that question. Uh, I mean, uh, Adam, Adam did mention some of the key things that, that make us um, good followers of Christ, people who look like Christ. Add in there the question to yourself that you can reflect on once every six months or so, if, if you want. Um, who am I discipling? That's where the multiplication will come. And, and, and if you can actually do this in a, in, in a multicultural manner, go find somebody who doesn't look like you, who doesn't 
speak like you, who doesn't think like you, and engage with them in a discipleship relationship, right? And you will realize that discipleship usually goes two ways. So you go in there as you are discipling them, but you realize that they are teaching you some stuff. And that's exactly where kingdom life happens. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, um, I mean, that, that's remarkably profound. We, um, we have a home group, and it is... I look, well, let me just say, what Adam said the other day, um, I have a question for you, Harvey, about... Um, you don't become like Jesus just by falling down the stairs and waking up. There has to be an intentionality about it. And I think it's the same with building a culturally diverse and rich church. You have to be intentional. We have a home group. And for the first time, I think, ever, we were the minority in our home group last week. So we have people from the Congo and Nigeria and um, all across the world. It, it was, and I just thought it's such a beautiful thing. How can we be more intentional in every single one of us, not just those of us in ministry, in creating a culturally diverse environment where people that are other feel safe and welcomed and affirmed and valued? Foremost thing, I think, is for you to realize that when you enter into a relationship with these people, um, you are not only going there to teach, you are going there to learn. Right? So you, you approach them as a, also learning opportunities. Um, I usually go to Ephesians 4.16, which is one of my favorite texts at the moment, that says that this body of Christ that we are, the, the, the fellowship of believers, the fellowship of followers of Christ from around the world, that this body is kept together because of the mutual exchange between the parts of the body. Right, that without the mutual exchange, um, what you bring and what others bring, and, and we can think about this both at a, an individual level, right? That, that my faith is going to be encouraged by my exchange with my friends. But we also think about this in, in a, in a, as a congregation, as a movement, that the body is going to be healthy if, the, if, if we keep exchanging the gifts that God has given us. So we approach, we approach every opportunity um, with an expectation that, yes, I bring my gift to the table. There's something that God wants me to do here. But you also go there thinking there's something that God wants me to receive here. Right? So you, you understand that. You, you go in with open hands, with, with open eyes, open ears. God has something for you in that relationship. So let's be intentional about that. Let's be intentional about, I, I mean... The, the, I think the most important thing about being a multicultural church, a multicultural kingdom, is negotiating the power dynamics. We live in a world where power dynamics have been shaped in a certain way for centuries. We could have that conversation, but not for now. But, but power dynamics have, have been shaped in a way that one group of people believe that they, 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 they are the, the normative culture and everybody else has to fit into that, that culture, everybody else has to assimilate into that culture. We need to keep, we need to start challenging that and, and begin to realize that actually um, in Christ the, the manifestation of the kingdom um, and, and Paul says this as he tries to interpret what Jesus has done for us and he says there's neither Greek nor Jew 
He's flattened the hierarchy. He's put us all as equals before Christ, and we receive and, and give to each other as equals. So being intentional about, you know, let's, let's, let's create space where cultures from around the world, uh, Christians from around the world, can actually add into what we are doing here. Uh, and that may look like, you know, one of the Sundays sing a Spanish song. And, and, and one other Sunday singing a Swahili song, right? That not only shows that you recognize that you have Kenyans in your Mideast, uh, it, it also gives them the, the sense, the identity that actually there is something that I bring into this fellowship, yeah. right? And, and so it's, it's just being intentional, just, just knowing that we do not have it all up until we have heard and received from others from different parts of the world, different cultures, different worldviews. Yeah, that's good. Thank you. I think um, there's a lot in that and there's a, there's a continuing conversation. I know Harvey's going to be speaking into a little bit around worship that is probably longer than we've got the moment for here where I've been remarkably challenged by what that looks like and then the seminar that follows. But Naomi, can I ask you, we've... There's, we're in moments of opportunity for multiplication and one of the significant ones that I think we're all seeing is around compassion. And the language we've often used is there's, there's truth and then there's got to be proof. Like we know the truth and now we want to see the lived out proof of that in the world around us. And uh, some of the language we've used is we're not just trying to build an audience in the church, we want to see an army shape the city and we want to step into that and to be that and can you just share with us a little bit of some of the the opportunities that you're seeing and how you're stepping into that yeah absolutely we're seeing um so many opportunities in our city our area experiences some of the highest levels of poverty in the uk um and we've always sought um to practically provide for people and campaign over issues of injustice um raising the profile of child poverty working on solutions with different groups in the city coming together um and more recently, God has opened incredible doors for us to have a space in our community, 422, where we can shape the city in a new way. So we can practically provide through 422, we can build partnerships, we can create opportunities um, and have space for other like-minded organisations to come and use the space as well and bring in specialised services. Um, we recently had some teams getting the space ready to host um, an NHS flu vaccination day. And without this space, our local GP surgery said that they would not have been able to do that in our community. There just wasn't the space for it. So it meant that families are less vulnerable to illness over the winter because of what, we've, what God has allowed us to be able to do. So people have been able to and will be able to give their time and resources to help facilitate programs to encourage social mobility help people get better jobs campaign for the real living wage help um, children break cycles of generational poverty dream for their lives support parents so many other things so um and as I was stepping into this role about six months ago I really felt God was speaking to me about proximity and we're called to be moved by compassion, to be salt, light and yeast. Um, but you can't be that from a distance. And 422 has really enabled us to get close, to befriend our community and build trust and favour, which is really what we're seeing. So, and when we do that, when we befriend, we see incredible opportunities to speak hope and life um, into people's lives, um, which is, yeah, 
really such a privilege. Yeah, I love it. And there's, there's, there are, like globally, I'd say, incredible opportunities to see the kingdom extended right now and to break down walls and to see um, those, those barriers broken that are economically, racially, socially and all sorts. What, are, what is some of what you're seeing? What does that look like? Mm. Yeah, so through programmes... Um, We've been able to run like community lunches. We have women sharing their stories with us of being stuck at home, bored, cold, lonely, um, such a breeding ground for anxiety and depression and having a warm, thoughtful, welcoming space where they can come to activities that, you know, boost their well-being or help them make connections has proved so vital and timely. There was um, a lady recently who shared with our team about her anxiety and challenges at home and she reflected as she was sharing her story that she wouldn't normally share this with a white person but and carried on deeply sharing her pain. Um, and just like in a friendship, one of our volunteers was able to share where she has found hope and freedom and called out the gold in this lady's story. The kingdom of God is so breaking down his barriers um, and there's trust and friendship beyond what we could facilitate across religious, cultural, racial divides that we might have thought were insurmountable. Um, and just another story, there's, um, it also looks like everyone gets to play. So um, we hosted a community day last weekend um, and we had over 300 people um, come into the building. Um, and we just wanted to be generous to our community that does not have a space like this, nowhere to go like it. And one of the ladies that we've got to know well, she's a Muslim lady, um, and we just invited her to come with her family. Um, and she arrived and essentially joined the team. Um, she was there all day cleaning up after people. She found a name badge put on herself. Um, and she just like just walked around with so much pride over the space. So she that she felt ownership of a of a church run event, um, which was just phenomenal. So she, you know, she opens up about her struggles. She um, she texts us when her kids are sick. She lets us know and she knows that we pray for them. Um, and what we believe. And, and I was just struck recently by how God uses people, God use, Jesus used people who didn't know him to do the miraculous. And he recently realised that when Jesus um, did his first miracle, the people who helped facilitate that, they, it wasn't the disciples, it was the, um, it was the servants at the wedding bringing Jesus the jars of water. Um, so, yeah, it's just been um, phenomenal, really, for, to see how this space is being one of the first places that people have come to since restrictions have lifted. Um, and, you know, just stories after stories, able to host programmes that, um, you know, for children, they're able to come to music lessons that their parents wouldn't have otherwise been able to afford, and it's totally free. And I really could carry on, so I'll stop there. No, it's good. I, I just want to stir it, if I'm honest, because I believe this is, a, this is something for us to step in. We've always believed it. It's, I, I was going to say it's the heart of the vineyard. It's not, it's the heart of the king. Mm. ultimately and it's worship and compassion and it's we want to propel ourselves into this and so um I, one of the questions i wanted to ask is it's how we'll be remembered in our cities mm. sure. like it, it's not the audience in the church it's the army to shape the city and um again some of the language we've used is what i think what we're seeing is good works creates an environment for for goodwill and that environment of goodwill leads to a platform and a springboard to share good news and it's it's a beautiful thing to see what the lord is doing but can you share with sorry harvey did you want to speak? Oh, just, just to add that yeah. it's it's opportunities like those that then begin to open your eyes to the horizons of other people's lives other people's culture yeah uh, and 
if you do it locally, it begins to help you understand what else is happening in the world. Yeah. So the compassion is local, but it is also global. And this is something that you, you've done well at Manchester Vineyard. I really appreciate you for that, that it raises an awareness of the, 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 the relationship with Kenya Vineyard, for example. Yeah. Working cross-cultural, creating space where cross-cultural relationships, uh, cross-cultural understandings can help, can, can happen here will help you understand the world yeah. better. Yeah. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Nimi, do you want to share some stories around that? Yeah. Is that? yeah, just have found that really when we serve well and be radically generous to our community, it causes people to wonder where we get our hope from, like why we're even, you know, doing this sort of project. And these good works generate goodwill, like you've said, Paul, um, trust and respect. And when people see your genuine love and compassion, um, it can create space through friendship to share about the good news that we have. Um, and we look for opportunities to speak kindly, to call out the gold in someone. What do you see of the kingdom? Where can you see Jesus' character at work in someone's life? There's eternity has been placed in the heart of men. There's something in everyone. Where do you see kindness, generosity, love, good deeds? Call it out. That's what we and celebrate in people's lives. And sometimes you'll serve, you'll befriend, and all you're doing is planting seeds. Um, and you don't know if, uh, how long it'll take to germinate or grow, um, but you're always ready to share about the hope that you have. Um, and I, I read recently that serving selflessly creates the opportunity for others to see, taste, smell, and feel the kingdom of God. It's irresistible, um, and it breaks down barriers. And people randomly cry when they walk into the building. We've had people break down in meetings that we're having about not spiritual stuff like these conversations that we have it just strikes something in people um and because of you're not the live stream you know there are probably stories that i can't share but um like god is god is at work and he's and he's doing stuff um but we have been able to share with people through friendship that we've built about jesus yeah that calling out i think adam touched on that as well didn't it so that is a powerful thing for us to to do as kingdom people but can i just ask you a bit more personally you carry a pioneering spirit and um, what, what does that mean? What does that look like? We, we've talked a bit about the saying yes, and mm. you've said some yeses. What, mm. What's that look like for you? I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> um, it's definitely something that I'm learning to get comfortable with because it is uncomfortable, but Holy Spirit is pioneering and the kingdom is advancing. So why wouldn't you want to be on that train? God has continually broken my heart for the, for the poor, the disadvantaged, um, for as long as I can remember. And I don't believe that he then asks us to sit on that and be sad or soothe ourselves until we can drown out those cries, because I do think you could if you tried. But he's just looking for people to say yes to the next thing, to get uncomfortable for the kingdom, say your yes. And he then equips you for all that you need. He has the best ideas. I'm so glad he doesn't just rely on mine. And he shares them through nudges, um, a vision of how things can be, dreams and prophecies. Um, but it also means that the, the prayer so frequently on my lips is like, Lord, help me, and what are you up to? I pray to have shed loads of peace and wisdom over the decisions that we might be taking um, and discernment to know where the Spirit is leading and correct my path and just stay close to Jesus. So um, as well as uncomfortable, it's also totally irresistible um, and the most exciting thing to see glimpses of his kingdom. Yeah, you and you are you're living well, you're living sold out, but like you said, it is uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And I'd acknowledge it's not been without cost for you. So what is what are some of the the battles? What are some of the giants that you've had to slay? 
I, yeah, for me, I think self-doubt has been um, has been a big one, a giant I've had to conquer. Um, and I know that I'm genuinely bad at a lot of things, like I can't build IKEA furniture, I get lost, I've, I can't navigate myself. Um, but I used to think of other people as being better at the things that God had called me to do, which is really dumb, because that's basically saying that I know better than him. And I'm learning to tread the fine line of I am nothing, um, but also the king of the universe has called me by name. And everything that I know of God seems to be pointing me in this direction. Um, so, so now if I don't, my humility then becomes something that I hide behind and actually makes me disobedient. So he equips me, he increases my capacity and skills, he gives me people, phenomenal people to learn from and be taught by. Um, and I just have to do my part and, and be willing, really. So, um, yeah, I guess that's a battle. Yeah, that's good. Can I ask you as well, I realise this is potentially quite a sensitive thing in the room as well but just ask you about being single and the journey that you've been on through that as well mm. we yeah we we submit so much to the lord when we follow him and my singleness is a huge part of that it is not off limits to god um and as a teenager i felt him nudge me not to get into the dating game not to make that my focus um but to make him my focus and i'm so thankful that he did Every now and then I do check in with him on it. Um, but so far, this has been my path um, and I trust his purposes for it. And in faith, even if that is for the rest of my life, in Jesus, we are to lack nothing. So he can deal with us lovingly, calling us out, on, calling him out on that. Um, he's daddy God and he's provided me with mates that I've adopted as my family. Um, they laugh and they cry with me. They help me do practical things. They put together my Ikea furniture. Um, and I really need them too. So being single means that I'm no less valued by God or the church. Marriage or singleness isn't going to solve any of my problems. Um, it's not second best and I lack nothing. And sometimes that is a declaration, I can confidently say, and other times that is just a deep cry of my heart to just realign and surrender to him again and again. Yeah, amen, that's powerful. Yeah, come on. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Um, just, just as well, I know where you, where you live has not been easy as well. I, there, there is a cost sometimes to, to the yes, isn't there? Can you just share with us a bit about yes, that? Yes, yeah, I can do. So about 18 months ago, I felt Holy Spirit prompting me to move more into the community that we're serving as church the community that God had broken my heart for time and time again. And thankfully, God knows what he's doing. The timing worked out for a really good mate um, to, to be prompted at the same time and to move in with her as well. And this hasn't come without cost for both of us. Um, yeah, we, we, um, we've, been, we've dealt with pests in all the places that you don't want them. Um, we've been burgled. Um, poor craftsmanship is a polite way of saying that a cupboard full of tins fell on my head the other day. Um, our, our street is notorious for children high, um, high on drugs to steal cars and, and race them down our road. Um, but what a privilege it is to bless our neighbours, to pray as we walk those streets um, or on a bus, to shift atmospheres and be praying and asking for opportunities to bring hope and light. And, and I've really found that living in that community really gives, me, gives us legitimacy when we, when in the conversations that I'm having most days at 422. I've made some of, you know, I've made the problems of my community my problems, grotty streets, homelessness, gang crime, um, fly tipping, rodents, all of that stuff. And like some days I think, oh, I'd really love a garden, but so would most of my community. So it feels like God has led us there um, and, and he's using it. So until he says otherwise, that's where we'll be. That's so, that is so powerful. 
so powerful. I think the same with Harvey, where I think the Lord's doing something in the room here. And we just got to take the moment to acknowledge what he's stirring in us and deposit it in us for, for compassion. Thank you. And thank you for your honesty. Josh, mate, you are, you're a, you're a dreamer and a believer. And uh, it's been a wild ride knowing you. But can I, can I say, um, it has though, hasn't it? Yeah. Let's, let, you carry something, I believe, for this generation. And you, you, all the time I've known you, you're just seeking to maximise what the Lord could do or might do and um, to live that out as a, as a kingdom call. What, what is that about? What's going on? Um, when Jesus spoke of the kingdom, he said it was like treasure buried in a field. When a man uh, stumbles upon it, he realised how potent and beautiful it was and, he's, and valuable and he sells everything. I guess my heart for you guys, this generation, those in our church community in our city is like Jesus and the kingdom is worth dying for. Like he's worth it all. And, you know, we've spoke about saying yes. Like that's my life story. It's just like say yes to the next thing. Like following Jesus isn't that complicated. It's really hard and it costs everything. But it's not that complicated. It's just simply saying yes to the next thing. And for every single one of you guys, the call of the kingdom is just like Jesus here right now. Are you going to say yes to that? And um, my journey pastoring and, and the wrestle of that and doing family life and living in our city is like, hey, what does it look like today to say yes to Jesus? Because so often we want the big thing in our life. We want... The big thing that God wants to do in our future, we want that here today. But actually, that starts now. Like, we make 35,000 choices every day. What does it look like to orient our entire life around Jesus and his kingdom? And I guess I've just been going on that journey. Like, what does it look like in our life, in our time, in our generation, to be the conduit through which heaven might invade earth? Like when Jesus taught us to pray, it was anchored around this idea that it is a, a possibility, not even a possibility, it is part of God's heart that heaven would come through you, through us. Like the ways, the values, the principles, the culture, the healthcare system of heaven, the politics of heaven would be present here on earth in our broken reality. And we get to be a part of that like by simply saying yes to the next thing. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question. Preach. Oh, no, yeah, that's good. Tell, tell me about the moment we're in. What are, what are you seeing? What's going on? Um, I, I see a noisy moment, a moment of a lot of dis potential distraction. How many of you guys know that there are millions of voices vying for our attention and millions of vices vying for our affection? And, um, hey, I was struck recently just... You know, you know, Jesus, after he rose from the dead, he appeared to 500 people at once. In the upper room, there was 120. I'm like, where were the rest? Where were the other 380 people that Jesus physically appeared to? Paul says he appeared to 500 people at once. There was this moment Jesus appeared. Then Jesus goes to heaven and he says, don't go anywhere, don't do anything. You've got the good news, you've met me, you've seen the risen Christ, but you need empowering. 
by the Holy Spirit. Why was there only 120 people in a room? I wonder if there were some people there as they were waiting, thinking, man, this isn't worth the wait. Maybe I didn't really see Jesus. A few guys that have just known him and love him and have had encounters with his spirit, there's going to be moments of distraction where the enemy will whisper the, the ancient lie, did God really do that with you? Did God really say that? Maybe, maybe not. And I, I want to encourage you just to keep running the race. Don't quit. It's okay to feel like quitting. Anyone else felt like quitting before? Yeah, I said to my dad, he's a pastor, and I remember going through a difficult time. And I said, Dad, do you ever feel like quitting? And he was like, oh, only every day. <laughs> what matters is that you just don't quit. Don't give up on God. Keep going. I want to be one of the 120 left in the room when everyone else said, you know, I'm, I'm out. Um, I, what was the question? Oh, what do you see? Oh, I also... It's a noisy world. Uh, it's also vital to remember we live in exile. Yeah. We live, and this is an exile moment. Uh, the Bible says that if you follow Jesus, if you apprentice under Jesus, you are an alien. You are a stranger. You are a sojourner. You're a traveler. You are an ambassador from another realm, currently on a journey through a world that is not your home. You do not belong here. And we're called as followers of Jesus to live in an exile environment, live differently, live counterculturally, love radically, stay faithful, stand firm. And actually, it's people that have the conviction to do that that God will use to change the world. One pastor um, said, if you want to reach everybody, you have to care what no one thinks about you. Jesus said, uh, beware when people speak well of you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, that's a relief. <laughs> <laughs> and some of you are feeling alienated or ostracized or marginalized because of your faith. You need to know there is blessing in that place. Don't compromise to get people to like you. It's not worth it. He's the treasure in the field that we give everything and sell everything for. He's the pearl of great price that is worth our life, laying it down for him and his kingdom. Yeah, amen. Mate, you've... Um... I, actually, someone was saying to me last night, they reminded me of something that was said at Cause years ago. If you don't have a vision for what you think God is doing, follow someone else who has. Mm -hmm. And I, over many years, have, have watched you guys at a local level in the church have a heart for your city and take risks and pioneer things and step into things. What's, what's some of that look like? Um, well... I guess, like, our heart to start with is like, Lord, what are you doing? Where are you moving? God is already about his business in every home in our city, in every street, in every neighborhood. God is on the move and God's working. And the challenge for us as the church is to say, Lord, I'm in. Like, there's this... Um, this thing in the Bible where Jesus said, uh, many are called, few are chosen. And I don't know about you, but I was always confused by that. I was always like, why is like everyone, like a lot of people called, but not that many people chosen. How does that work? Someone explained it like, imagine I'm moving house. Hannah and I, we moved house a few months ago. And imagine we were, you were all my friends and we we're all in a room. And I said, hey guys, I'm moving house. Um, I need some help. Would anyone be up for it? So I put the call out to everyone. And then like five people put their hands up and say, yeah, I'm in. It's like that. The call goes out to everyone and Jesus is looking for people that just say, yeah, yeah, I'm in. And that is really a heart. And we've seen a, a stunning move of God in the area of compassion. Remark, just 
these stories. I, mean, I can't compete with that, but, you know, just unbelievable. We're not play. trying to compete. <laughs> I'm, I like competition. <laughs> I'm not going to compete with you on that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, just asking the question, like, how will the church be remembered post-COVID? Yeah. What are we going to be known for? Are we going to be known for, um, especially when we come up against trial or difficulty, putting up our walls, bunker mentality, or are we going to be known for just the radical, almost reckless love of the Father and going out? Um, one of my favorite stories that I, I love, I, I don't know how true it is, but it is, it's about Moravian missionaries. And it's like I know, 400 years ago, they, they, they were essentially the greatest church planting movement on the planet, the Moravians. And um, they heard, uh, the story I heard is that they heard about a, small island in the West Indies where uh, the only people that lived on these islands were slaves. And there was two missionaries who wanted to get out there. They felt a call of God to go, but they couldn't get there. So they had to sell themselves into slavery to go. And um, they were on the boat, as the story is told, and they turned around just before selling themselves into slavery, preached the gospel to this island. And they said, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. And man, that's, that's my heart. Yeah. Like may Jesus, whatever that looks like in your context, in Hull is, is different, but in my time, in my generation, I want the lamb that was slain receive the reward for his suffering. Yeah. Jesus, he's worth it all. Um, yeah, that... that sold out nature of your life is a beautiful thing thank you yeah